Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to No Chick Flick Moments. Uh, not, oh, 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 yeah, this is our Supernatural Watchcast. Hi, B. Yeah. <laughs> hello, Remy. We are here today kicking off a brand new season. Yes. Today we're talking about uh, season two, our episode one, In My Time of Dying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is such a good premiere. Yeah. Yeah. You feel you, f- you feeling it this episode? I was feeling it. I've only watched it one time before, and so it was like a completely new episode for me. Yeah. Yes. I it's so funny. I always thought if I it, if you I had asked me a week ago what is the premiere of of season two, I probably would have said it's the clown episode. It's 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 the one where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. where Dean has a breakdown and Sam has a completely different breakdown. <laughs> and <laughs> it was like I forgot how we actually ended season one, which was that that wild uh cut to black Mm-hmm. truck driver slamming into the side of the impala yes and then we have this episode and this episode is a, a, another one of those just iconic supernatural episodes but i'm like oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah this bitch this is where you sneak into the lineup oh yeah <laughs> and then we get to get into it Yes, all that to say that it is, uh, it was, it, I definitely did enjoy watching this one too. And mm-hmm. I am way excited to kick off a new season. Yeah. 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 So, welcome to NCFM. We're talking about season two, episode one, In My Time of Dying. It was an episode that was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners, our Big boys are here mm-hmm. to play. Heavy hitters out the gate. And the original air date for this episode was uh, September 28th, 2006. Okay. So a little later in the year than the year before. Yeah. But that's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how funny how uh, hiatuses do that, right? It, it happens. It's like... Who's to say why? It's like just... A week ago, it was February, and now it's September. Wild. I know. Crazy. Okay. Do they keep doing paragraphs of synopses? No. No, they do not. I literally, I had a little giggle writing the synopsis because I was like, is this really the the Supernatural Wiki synopsis? The official synopsis? Or is this like the Netflix synopsis that comes Mm -hmm. up in the little two-sentence... preview this one is nice and short and sweet the synopsis for this episode reads sam dean and john were left for dead after the demon plowed a semi into the impala now one of the winchesters hovers between life and death as the surviving family must face an old and powerful adversary i mean 
<laughs> I guess it is an old adversary, but we only saw him for the first time last episode. <laughs> he is an old adversary. This is I was like, if we're going to age, um, yeah, for sure. But like <laughs> time that we've known him, mm, questionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Good on them, though. Short and sweet and to the point. Right. And we pick up. I love, love how we pick up right where we left off. Yeah, this is like the third episode in a row that starts where the last one ended. So we pick up with the demonic truck driver leaving his semi-cab and approaching the Impala and ripping off the driver door. Um... Sam is conscious and ready. He cocks the colt, aims it at the demon, and after a brief showdown, the demon does dissipate into the dark. And the vessel, the truck driver, is left distraught, and neither John nor Dean are awake. Yeah, or responding to uh, Sam's calls for them. He's trying to ask John or Dean if they're with him but no they're completely they're unconscious they're not responding yep bloody and pale and out like a light the it was funny the demon that was uh in the semi truck he comes up and he tears off the door and there's the standoff where uh Sam has the colt and he's threatening to kill the demon with the colt and t- Sam is telling the demon to back off or he'll shoot. And the demon is playing, well, pretty much just playing a game of chicken with him. You're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do that. You're saving that bullet for something else. You yeah. only have one bullet left. You're not going to waste it on me. And Sam dares the demon to try him. Yeah. See yeah. See what. One a bit. Yeah. One a bit. And for whatever reason, you know, if it was planned or if the demon really did just dip out, say, okay, okay, I believe you, you will kill me, uh, he leaves without, without finishing the job, as it, as it were. Yeah. I mean, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, but... But I don't know what what was he doing? Was he check? Was he coming over to check if they they were actually dead? Was that the intent? Was he trying to kill them? No, I think it was a dramatic opening scene to remind us. What happened. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Kirby just probably thought it was cool. So we cut to daytime, and there is a helicopter response team coming and landing nearby. And from his stretcher, Sam is demanding to know whether his family is even alive. I loved this scene. It was so, there was something so satisfying about the way that it was shot. Just the, yeah. the blinding sun, the helicopter descending, the paramedics, the beehive of, of activity that's going on in this, in this hectic situation. They're loading up, uh, Sam, Dean, and John. Dean and John are still unconscious. Only Sam is is aware and asking questions, but he's not getting answers because because we don't know yet. Yeah. 
We see the emergency response team. They're reading off vitals. I mean, I'm assuming it's not great because <laughs> the implication from last scene is that it's been hours. I mean, it's mm-hmm. daytime now. So whatever happened to them is serious enough that it's kept them out presumably this whole time. And we just have to hope for the best by the time we get to the hospital in the next scene. There was something about the helicopter room that I was just like, yeah, Kripke, you hit it this time. This is actually yeah. a cool scene. It felt real because yeah. finally they needed outside help. Like their lives collided with the real world, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And they were helpless and needed that world's help. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. So... Next, we are in the hospital, and we see Dean sit up right, and he goes and leaves the hospital room looking for Sam. Um, It's quiet, and he's alone. He's wearing this thin t-shirt, a pair of scrub pants. He's got bare feet, and he pads down the stairs where he sees a nurse at the desk. But when he tries talking to her, she doesn't acknowledge him. Yeah, my only note here is uh, Dean wakes up and doesn't talk to a nurse. Yeah, yeah. And this nurse, um, we see her later in the episode having a bad time. But we also see her in later seasons. She plays Bobby Singer's wife. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know what? I didn't even notice that it was the same nurse, but... <laughs> it took me a couple rewatches for making notes for me to put that together. I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense that it was the same nurse, but... Yeah. It's the yellow shirt, if you pay attention to that. They're the same person. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, the one thing that I noticed, especially since you pointed it out to me, is that the way that they filmed this episode, it's all, you know, this this is at a time when they still have physical tapes in their camcorders. They are... They are filming this on film. This is not digital. And they don't have the, I don't don't know, like all the special effects that you would have today. So we have Dean, uh, we have Jensen going through this episode as a ghost, as a spirit. And he is, you know, physically in front of these people that are acting around him and they Mm -hmm. can't. They have to act like they he's not there so they cannot respond no matter what he does because he's you know he's, he's a spirit in this situation so i see jensen here and he's snapping his fingers just two inches away yes. from this lady's face and she doesn't even bat an eye i was like good on you yes yeah that was one of the things that the dvd commentary um, they spoke about a lot. Um, both Jared and Jensen commented mm. on how difficult it is to act in a scene together or the three of them, you know, with JDM. And they have to not respond to Jensen the entire time. Mm-hmm. And Jensen has to be careful that he doesn't touch anybody. He doesn't move anything. Because the first time that they filmed the scene... Um, Sorry, my cat's decided to, <laughs> just... they're going to play in the hall. And he never plays, only, oh, baby. <laughs> um, as 
as Jensen is walking through the halls, they had him opening doors and, you know, looking behind things and stuff. And when Kripke was um, reviewing the dailies, he called them right away. He's like, no, you got to reshoot that. He can't do that. He's a ghost. Yeah. Ghosts don't, don't open doors. Exactly. So a lot of practical challenges for this episode, and they did it in a really effective way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Dean doesn't get acknowledged. He wanders the hospital until he finds himself in a bed, unconscious. And we all gasp, and the new title card is revealed. <laughs> yes. Supernatural. Red flames. We get the da-da-da-da-da. Supernatural. Yes, we're we're doing the call to the mother on the ceiling. <laughs> so Sam arrives in Dean's room to check on him, but he is unable to see the spirit Dean, or, and he's not able to hear him when Dean tries talking to him. Yeah, Dean is up in Sam's space like, hey, hey. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello, hello. You're the psychic boy. Come on. Mm-hmm. He wants to know how John's doing. Um, this is fortunately answered by one of the staff. Uh-huh. And Dean is just really hoping that he's on the same page as Sam, you know. Go find a voodoo priest, get some magic laid on me, get me revived and get me back in the game. Um, But based off of what this doctor is saying, he has sustained serious injuries, including blood loss, contusions to his liver and kidney, head trauma. And they are just hoping that Dean wakes up, but realistically, the odds aren't great. Yeah, the doctor is trying to tell Sam, like, will know his full condition only when he wakes up, if he ever wakes up. Honestly, keep your expectations realistic. Uh, I'm surprised that he's even still holding on. Yeah. Again, that whole night out there, presumably waiting until the the helicopters arrived, um, didn't do him any favors. Mm-hmm. And this was another great, the scene was another great example of um, all three actors here playing the room and playing the situation where Dean is pacing the room and he's like, screw you, doc. I'm waking up. No. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sam, you tell him, come on. Just, you know, we have Jensen acting around these two people that can't, react to Jensen acting around them. Yes. And, yeah, all Sam. Sam with his little puppy dog, teary-eyed. Yeah, he looks so pensive as he takes in this news. Yeah. He's just trying to figure out how bad it is, and it turns out it's it's pretty bad. Yeah. And we see right away that he wants to come up with a plan because the next scene is him in John's hospital room and John is giving his fake insurance card and getting the rundown on how Dean is doing. And Sam says the same thing as Dean, you know, let's go find a voodoo priest. Let's go lay some mojo on him. Let's bring him back. Um, But John isn't as optimistic as him. Um, he thinks that it was a one in a million shot that they were able to heal Dean last season in episode 12. Um, 
So Sam is almost appalled and is asking, like, so we're going to do nothing? Yeah, and John's saying, no, no, I didn't say that. I'm going to make some calls. I'm going to... I'm going to check under every stone. We're yeah. we're going to figure something out. But in the meantime, <laughs> where's yes. the cult? Yes. Yeah. But where's the cult? And Sam is instantly on edge, instantly defensive. Mm-hmm. Bristling just at the fact that John can talk about this stupid gun while his eldest son is dying. Yeah. John defends, you know hey, this demon is after us. The cult is the only weapon that we have. You know, I, everything that I'm doing, I'm doing to protect Dean. So just make sure it's safe. Yeah. Let's be ready for whatever's coming for us. Presumably even more demons. Yeah. He also asks what took place for the Impala. Um, Sam says that it's been taken to a junkyard And when John orders him to clean out the trunk, including the colt, bring it here, um, Sam says he's already called Bobby about getting a tow. And so John says, well, meet Bobby there and bring back the colt. Like, he's just, get this gun, get this gun, get this gun. Yeah. Uh, And also, ask Bobby to fetch me these supplies. It's Mm -hmm. a list of... uh, regents i suppose a list of things that john says will be protection against demons it will ward off the demons things like um acacia oil and i i don't remember what else was on the list but yeah it's something that puzzles sam as much as it puzzles us like okay what are you talking about yeah yeah but yeah john says that it's for protection And before Sam leaves, he tries discussing what the yellow-eyed demon said about the plans that it has for the special children like Sam. Um, But John says he has no idea what that was about. And once Sam leaves, we see Dean, the spirit, in the corner observing his father. And he clearly thinks John knows more than he's led Sam to believe. Yeah. Dean, who is able to observe everything that's happening and observe when the occupants of the room think that they're unobserved. Uh, He's looking at John and is very, is very skeptical that John is being truthful when he says like, no, I don't know what the demon was talking about. Yeah. Like just last episode, Dean was saying he knows his father better than anyone. And so when Sam is out of the room and John lets his face change, um, Dean's reading that expression and he's seeing something in it he doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. You clearly know something. Yeah. And and what we're talking about here is it, during the recap, we called back to the previous episode where when yellow the yellow-eyed demon was in the cabin uh, and possessing John, he was taunting Sam with, you know... Sam had asked why, why me? Why did you kill Jessica? Why did you kill my mom? And the demon said, because they got in the way, they got in the way of my plans for you and the other special children children like you. you. Yes, exactly. 
So Sam's looking for answers there. Yeah. Um, our next scene, we have Sam and Bobby reviewing the totaled Impala. And Sam is saying that Dean is going to be pissed. Yes! I love this. Because Sam's <laughs> like... Sam is not even letting into his mind or he's shielding himself from even the thought that Dean is not going to be okay because every yeah. other word out of his mouth is like, no, Dean would hate that or Dean would never or Dean's going to be pissed when he finds yeah. out about the Impala because he, he's got to believe that Dean's going to be okay. It's the only thing holding him together right now. Yeah. Or maybe it just doesn't even enter his mind that they're going to see any other outcome mm -hmm. because as we're finding out, particularly in this episode, the Winchester motto seems to be there will always be a way. So this mulish stubbornness has gotten them this far and we're going to see it takes them a decade and a half <laughs> into the future as well. Yep. Yep. Well, Dean's gonna be pissed. The Impala is not looking so hot. No. And Bobby says that the vehicle isn't even worth the tow. They ought to just sell it for scrap. But Dean would kill Sam if he did that. Sam says that Dean is going to want to fix it when he's better again. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby's pointing out all the things that would write this vehicle off, like the bent frame and the destroyed engine. But Sam is adamant that they're not going to give up on <laughs> the Impala. <laughs> and Bobby reads between the line and is like, okay, okay, son. Yeah, we are not giving up on wink, the Impala wink. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Even if there's just one working part, that's enough. We're not going to give up on, you know. <laughs> Dean, I mean, baby. I mean, yeah, family. <laughs> family. Yeah, so, okay, okay, we... Bobby's saying, you know, there's not even parts worth salvaging. And me, I'm like, you take that back, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, I'm with yeah. Sam on this one. I'm like, you wouldn't even want to get an adjuster out there. The adjuster would cost more than what you're going to get out. Oh my gosh. And, you know, their insurance and everything is probably not going to be the best. So they're probably... They're probably needing to do this own repair if they want to have this vehicle again. Sorry, that's that's the daughter of a body man coming out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, they're... Bobby's right. The frame is a pretzel. You ain't salvaging anything from that. No, but I'm like, if the frame is written off, like, I, I guess I can't talk about how Americans, what happens when you write off a vehicle, but... It wouldn't really impact them anyways because they're not the type to sell the Impala. So yes, if they can get it roadworthy, then it's good again. It doesn't matter. The Winchesters thrive off of impossible tasks and yeah. this is just one more, but that's okay. They're going to fight for it. Yeah. And one other like unspoken casualty of this scene, but we see <laughs> Sam pulling his laptop out and it looks just like this wafer paper. Like it looks like layered crepe. Of metal. And then he's just like, well, that's that on that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that one, 
that one might actually not be worth saving. But yeah, the the laptop with the yeah. little skull sticker and his I just oh. love that 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 laptop. It reminded me of it's very 2000s reminded me of my zipper sparkly bright orange binder that I <laughs> had in sixth grade elementary and I had I don't know brats stickers that I oh pasted gosh. all over the thing and those you know those 25 cent Walmart vending machine stickers that you would mm-hmm. collect like they were gold yeah, like Sam went off to get his own identity at university <laughs> and he put some customization onto his laptop and then it, it, I mean, spoilers, the prop master drops the thing off of a building <laughs> to make it look like that. Really? Is that what they Yeah. Did? I don't know the guy's name, but he like went up to Kim Manners and was like, I don't know how to wreck this thing. And Kim was like, well, just drop it off the roof of, you know, XYZ Mm -hmm. building. And so that's what he did. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. Uh Roll over it with a car or drop it off a building. Yeah. Sam also gives John's shopping list to Bobby in this scene and Bobby recognizes something about it. His face kind of tells on him. Um, and he doesn't immediately cave when Sam questions about it, but, um, we find out pretty soon that he reveals something Sam didn't expect. Yeah, Bobby's like, what's all this for? Sam says, protection from demon. And Bobby's like, protection. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's what this is. Mm. And Sam just hones right in on that. But we cut before we find out what happens. Yep. Back at the hospital at Dean's bedside, John is holding vigil while the spirit version of Dean is basically begging him for help. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah. It reminded me so much of Dean calling John from Lawrence or Sam calling John in faith where Dean was facing death's door just a few months ago. And yeah, Sam was lucky to find that faith healer, even though it was not a true faith healer and there were Mm -hmm. consequences that they had to deal with. Uh, But Sam was lucky to have gotten that break, but Sam had called John to beg his dad, like, hey, I need help. Dean is dying. Your son is dying. Help us. And nothing. Be here. Help us do something. Nothing. And here, again, we see John at the hospital and, um... Dean's there and he's been watching his father and he's been watching his father sit there and do nothing. You know, John put up a a good front with Sam like, oh yeah, I'll make some calls. Not a stone left unturned. We'll figure something out. Mm -hmm. And then Dean is sitting here witness to John's seeming complete indifference. Yeah. And presumably hours of this, because the round trip for Sam is not going to be quick, especially if it was like a helicopter in and out and 
Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So the longer that this goes on, the more frustrated Dean seems to be getting. And then we see him finally at this breaking point. Yeah. He is accusing John here. Well, he's just calling John out, really. He's, you, Mm -hmm. do you not care at all? Come on, dad, do something. I need you. And he's bringing in kind of all the chips that he's played in the past, you know? He's saying, I've done everything you have ever asked me. Everything. I've given everything I've ever had. And you're going to just sit there and you're going to watch me die? Like, what the hell kind of father are you? Yes. Yes. Talk about... uh, I I don't know what to call this. Talk about venting letting it out mm-hmm. the, uh, this 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 therapeutic rant that he is now telling his his dad all the things that we think that he wouldn't be free to say to him i don't think that he would ever say these things to john if he knew that john could hear him but now he gets to um stand in front of john and let loose without yeah. without the perceived consequence of John actually hearing all that Dean has to say. Yeah, the carthosis without the consequence, like mm-hmm. you said. And I find this scene interesting to juxtapose to what we see as the final conversation between John and Dean in this episode. Because here... Dean is kind of laying out the resentments he has for the way that he was raised. And like he's saying, I gave up everything to look after this family. And this is what I get back. Like, this is how you repay me. And we're going to see in that last episode scene, um, John is admiring Dean for never complaining, not once. And here we know that that's not true, even if neither character realizes that. Yes, perfect. Yes, that's exactly it. It's like, we know, we know that every, this is just one glimpse into how Dean really feels because otherwise it's a mask that he has up all the time and and even with John at the end of the episode when he's talking to Dean, uh, John is saying that he he's asking that Dean continue to look out for Sam, continue to to look out for the family and put up the good fight and just keep on. And, and like, take this one last burden without complaint. Oh my gosh. And... Even in John saying that, Dean replies, yeah, dad, you know I will. I always do. What what are we talking about here? But take that. Yeah, dad, like, of course I will. Of course I'll I'll look out. I'm always looking out. Um, Take that to what Dean is saying now. And he, it's just him acknowledging how that hurts. How much that weight actually yes. has affected him when otherwise he is the the kid that never complained. Yep. Eldest daughter syndrome. Like, yeah. he raises Sam. He takes on a parent role even with John. Like, John's praising him mm-hmm. for parentifying himself in that last scene. And 
I mean, we'll find out that um, Dean's experiences as a spirit get forgotten once he is resuscitated. Um, But we really see this glimpse into his subconscious. And in this scene in particular, if we carry what we know forward, you know, even as, you know, Dean's not arguing with John like he's not saying no I did have resentments and I did th- yeah he is no sir you're right like the subconscious thing that he doesn't like to acknowledge in himself and maybe John is aware is there but he doesn't like to acknowledge either um they're both speaking around this elephant in the room yeah yeah but here in this moment with with Dean being able to let it out uh, a bit, we see underneath all that. Yeah. Kind of this opportunity for growth that he doesn't allow himself to experience in his normal day-to-day, and then that he loses by the end of the episode. Yeah, and he... That he loses because he forgets it. That he, he... He forgets that... He had to sit there and watch his father not lift a finger to to help him. And, yeah. and Dean had to sit there and spiral into, God, he doesn't even care. Yeah. And, like, as we're talking here, it's making me think of how it's like Dean wants to stay in the role that was given for him. Because if he knows that he can venture outside of it, then the question becomes, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, I'm thinking back to something wicked Mm -hmm. and how we said that the conversations that were taking place between Sam and Dean in that episode had the opportunity for Dean to experience growth, um, but he denies himself it. He's saying, like, I wish you, Sam, didn't have to have our experience growing up like this. He doesn't give it to himself. And this episode, we see Dean almost trying to give himself that out and that ability to say, no, I didn't like what happened to me. And that growth, again, is taken away from him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy for us to be sitting here in this moment. Oh my god. When Dean woke up and he didn't remember anything that had happened yeah. when he was having his out-of-body experience, I wanted to scream. I did not remember that that's how it went down. I didn't mm-hmm. know that he was going to forget everything that happened with Tessa and with John and with Sam. And... Oh my god, it was so good and juicy and awful. It was awful when he woke up and he was like, no, I don't remember. It's just angst fodder. It's so good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so John can't reply to anything Dean says here. And really, in short order, um, this rumbling begins outside of the room. And this spooky ghost seems to brush a past Dean and he realizes he's the only one who saw this so he goes searching the hospital for where it went to 
And he comes across the nurse from earlier, and this time she's choking on the floor. Was there blood? No, there was not blood. I was literally, I was trying not to giggle at this woman's death, but I was just like, of all the people to die in a hospital, really? You're going to have this random nurse go into random, I don't know, anaphylactic shock and die in the coffee room? And there, like, wasn't too much distance between her room and the nearest people that we saw out in the hallway. You'd think someone could hear the ruckus, but... This nurse is on the floor. She's thrashing. She can't breathe. She's, she, I don't know, she's having some sort of episode. Uh, and Dean is trying to get the attention of those people in the hall, the people that are just a couple of doors down, you know, but there's nothing Dean can do. We're highlighting his helplessness. Yeah, exactly. The helplessness of what situation he's in. He can only watch at what's going on. Mm-hmm. So upon Sam's return, Dean tries talking to him about the thing in the hospital because... Dean, you know, he's like, you need to bring me back so we can hunt this thing. Um, But it's time for the John and Sam drama hour to begin. So we we cut to them having their snitty moment together. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it matters if Dean Dean is a spirit or not. I don't think he would have gotten through to them either way. No. I mean, it was very similar to what we saw in Dead Man's Blood, where Dean is yelling off screen and Sam and John just continue on their headstrong ways. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned or it was probably obvious, but the woman did die. So he has to sit there and watch the woman die. And we saw the spooky ghost. So now... Dean thinks that the spooky ghost is in the hospital killing people and he's trying to warn Sam, hey, come on, get your head out of your ass. There's a hunt here. Yeah. There's something killing people. Yes. So listen to me, but they can't. So here in John's room, John is commenting that Sam seems really quiet and Sam jumps immediately into the accusations that John just wants to summon the demon to the hospital for some final macho showdown. Yes. Did you think that I wouldn't find out? The stuff that you wanted Bobby to get, it's not for protection against a demon. It's to draw a demon in. You want to summon the demon. You're going to bring him here for some, like you said, some macho showdown. And and for what? Like, why are you putting us all in danger for this? Yeah. How is this the top of your priority list? Yeah. Like, John is saying that he has a plan, but Sam just accuses him of caring more about the demon than he does his dying son. Yes. Dean is dying and you have a plan. That's Sam's entire point. Mm-hmm. And John's trying to be like... It's for Dean. I'm doing this for Dean. And Sam just cannot see how that is true. All he sees is his dad's mission for revenge. Yes. Yes. He is accusing John of just having the blinders on. He cares about nothing but revenge. Sam cannot believe that this is John's priority right now. And... John's coming right back at Sam to say, look, I thought this was your priority too. I thought Mm -hmm. that you cared about killing this demon just as much as I did. And if you had 
had just killed it when you had the chance, then none of this would be happening right now. Exactly. And it's a bit harsh of John, too, because he's saying that Sam begged to be part of this hunt. And if he had just done what he was told, like he said, then none of this would have happened. Yeah. And Sam points out that John would have died just the way that (laughs) if it was what you wanted, Dad, you'd be dead. And John just says that Dean would be awake now, though. So I guess that balances out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just that that back and forth where Sam is accusing John of having his priorities backwards. The only thing that he cares about is killing the demon when he should be thinking about Dean. John is saying, hey, I thought you cared about killing the demon too. Killed your mother, killed your girlfriend. You begged me to be part of this hunt. Uh, What happened to your priorities? And they're just cross-talking and no one's getting through to anyone. And Dean... Mm-hmm. also in the room but unheard again i don't think like you said just like with with dead man's blood he could be shouting at the top of his lungs and i don't think that john and in, in, in a normal scenario and i don't think that john and sam would have heard him yeah either way yeah and here dean is in a special scenario and it's just compounded for him like he's yelling for them both to shut up for them both to stop and knowing that they can't hear him he seems to lash out in frustration and when he flails his arm and swings it at this glass um miraculously he connects with it and it shatters on the ground yep yep and he's so proud (laughs) (laughs) everyone in the room goes quiet that got their attention because dean full-on swayzied that mother yeah he tapped into his anger and (laughs) oh so good and spirit bitch slapped that glass of water right across Mm -hmm. the room Mm -hmm. but the rumbling returns in this moment And this time Dean shudders and flickers in and out of sight. And it seems like he is pulled back to where his body is. And we see John motion for Sam to go find out what is going on. There's this ruckus down the hall um, coinciding with what happened to Dean. Yeah, and what is happening to Dean is that he is in cardiac arrest. He seems to be his heart is giving out in this moment, which is, um, it it seemed like the spirit of Dean himself was feeling that same pain in his chest, like something's wrong. And what's wrong is the doctors are all surrounding him trying to restart his heart. And it's, we're just sitting here. Oh no. Is this, is, is, is Dean dying here? Yeah. He's getting defibrillated. I didn't say that. <laughs> He's getting defibrillated. He has no pulse. And Sam and Dean are both watching. But it's only Dean who sees the apparition floating above his body in the bed. Yes, the spooky ghost is here. Um, and it's hovering over Dean's prone body. It looks to be reaching out to touch mm-hmm. Dean. And mm-hmm. Dean thinks that he knows what's going on here he's yelling at the spirit to get away leave leave me alone get away no you're not taking me you're not killing me here 
You exactly. go you, away. You might have got the nurse, but you're not getting me. Yes, yes, yes. And Dean steps forward and actually grabs the spirit. Yes. He makes contact with it, but um, it ends up throwing him off and he gets tossed across the room. Yeah. But the spirit does flee. Yeah. The thing looks at him before it leaves. And in the bed, Dean's body regains its pulse and sinus rhythm. And... Sam is in the hallway. He's, you know, stressed Mm -hmm. because of what just happened. But our spirit version of Dean tries reassuring his brother that he's going to go get this thing before it kills him. Yes. Yeah. He's not. He's he's going to fight. He's not going to let this thing get him. And if he can grab it, that means that he can affect it. And it's one of those, if it bleeds, I can kill it kind of thing. Exactly. And so when Dean tried lunging at that spirit, um, we heard what he said was almost echoing. And then here in this moment with Sam and Dean in the hallway, um, Sam almost looks the same direction as where Dean's spirit was heading. Um, So we're getting these little cues that, you know, maybe Sam picked up on something. Not clearly enough to know that it's Dean or what's going on, but he felt something in that moment that's kind of pinging him weird afterwards. Yeah. It's funny because, um, at the very beginning of this whole thing, when Dean first wakes up in this out of body experience, he sees Sam and, um, he's yelling at Sam like, Hey, hello. Can you hear me? You're the psychic one. Come on. And, and Sam doesn't hear him and is not reacting at all but one of the things that sam's that dean says here when sam is talking to the doctor is like sam don't listen to this guy you you just go out and find uh a, a hoodoo priest to lay some mojo on me and then in the very next scene sam word for word repeats that same thing exactly did he subconsciously actually hear what Dean was saying uh, or was it just a coincidence? Well, now that, uh, that we have Dean yelling at this specter and he's saying, go away, leave me alone, go away. Sam hears that echo of the go away, leave me alone, go away. And then he seems to be becoming a little bit more aware of Dean's spirit. So maybe, you know, maybe that psycho mojo is is coming is coming down the line. Yeah. There's enough there that it's leading him in a direction that we're going to see a couple scenes from now. Mm-hmm. Um trying to reach out in case Dean is actually there. Plus the water glass, of course. I mean, they didn't say enough about it in the moment. <laughs> but they both, both Sam and John looked at that and was like, okay, that was weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, the ruckus in Dean's room interrupted. Yeah. Um, so with Dean, um, still in the hallway, um, he hears this woman yelling and goes to check it out. And we find this young woman, Tessa, um, she's in the same state as him. They go and find her body also on life support 
And she is just adamant that this is a vivid, unreal dream. But Dean is telling her it's an out-of-body experience. They are spirits close to death, but he thinks they can hold on and come back to life. Yes, he finds the one person that can see him and hear Mm -hmm. him, and it's Tessa. And she is having the same out-of-body experience that Dean is having. Like you said, a spirit close to death. Tessa freaks out a little. She's like, wait, so that means I'm going to die? And Dean says, no, no, you don't have to. Look, we just have to fight. We have to hold on. Our bodies can get better. And then that's when we can get back to ourselves. Yeah, we can bounce back in at that point. Right. All he's saying is you just have to hold on long enough for to give your body's opportunity to get better. Yeah, just keep fighting and it'll pay off. Yes. And to him, I mean, I think that he sees a spirit. He thinks he sees that, you know, something is trying to take them away. And this is him saying, just keep fighting. Like, if we can just hold it off, then. Yeah. I've scared it off once, so who's to say I can't do it again? And it's that whole, if I can touch it, I can make it bleed. Yes. So he sees there's some promise, at least. It's not all hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. But now he has this Tessa girl that um, she, he, he's trying to tell her the same thing. Like, hey, you just if, if you can hold out, then everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so we cut to Sam and John, and Sam is revealing that he felt as if Dean was nearby. Yeah. And John says, sort of absently, that anything is possible. Um, but he also does promise to Sam to not hunt this demon until Dean's okay. Yeah. And Sam goes to get a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I just gotta go. Gotta gotta go to a place and get a thing. BRB. Bingo. So back with Tessa and Dean, they are having a conversation, and he is surprised at how she is handling it so well. Yeah, Tessa seems uh, pretty zen about the whole situation. You know, Dean even says, you might be taking this better than me, and frankly, I know more than you. Yeah. About the weird. I live in the weird. Yeah, this is my day to day. But she's saying that, you know, it's fate. It's out of her hands. But Dean calls that bullshit and says that you always have a choice in what you do. Yeah, yeah. Tessa's trying to say, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's fate. Nothing I can do about it. Dean says there's always something that you can do about it. You always have a choice. And you gotta choose to fight. He's bristling against the idea that fate is real and this is where it's led him. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those tiny little seeds that we're just gonna... mm, (laughs) A couple years it's gonna grow into this lovely little plant and we're gonna enjoy the fruits of it. Oh my god. Enjoy the fruits, huh? I mean, I do. Again, I'm like, everyone's sad and miserable and I'm just sitting here eating popcorn. (laughs) Yeah, that 
that Winchester spirit, like you said, the there's always a way where there's a will, there's a way, and fight, 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 and we get to see over the next 15 years just how deep of a hole that digs them. Yes. Ugh, it's such a tragedy. God, and the finale is the biggest punchline. Don't think about it. I I put my blinders on. I was thinking <laughs> season four, season five. I'm like, that's as far as I'm going with this. Yep. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. But yeah, Dean is saying here there's always a choice. And I reject your idea that this is just, we just have to accept the fate that's coming for us. No. Exactly. Um, a code blue goes off in room 237. Again, they love this number. Everybody loves this number in horror. <laughs> they did it in something wicked as well. It was the room that the old crone was in that Dean got the spirit of Kripke possessing him. <laughs> wait, a code. Wait, a code. Oh, room 207. 237, 237. Yeah. It's from The Shining. Everybody is like, we like that number as a subtle reference. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I thought you were saying yeah. that they called a 237. I called a code. No. 237. Sorry. Sorry. Code blue in room 237. Gotcha. 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 And Tessa tries calling him back, but Dean runs off and confirms that a kid is targeted by the spirit this time. And... um. There's nothing he can do. Even when the spirit is gone, this kid unfortunately passes away. Yeah. And the doctors and nurses around them uh, seem to have expected this in some way. One of the nurses even says, well, at least she's not suffering anymore. Yeah. That's the sad moment for Dean because, you know, he just went on this spiel about how you can fight and you'll make it back. You'll, you'll get away even if this thing is after you. And yet here a victim quote unquote has been claimed in front of him. Yeah. Or is this the aha realization moment that this isn't, I think that at first he's thinking that this is something, I don't think that he makes the connection that it's a reaper, a reaper that's here naturally, that's reaping the souls at their time. At first he thinks that it's something that he can rage against, he can fight, he can make bleed, and it's something that is proactively, you know, killing people when really it's not. It's a reaper that is reaping the souls at their time. Yeah. With a natural order of things. Yeah. I think that he hasn't consciously put that together yet, but this is something that um, is a snag in his theory. Um, What happened to this kid isn't fitting exactly with the picture he was building in his mind. Yeah. Um, So back in Dean's room, Sam tries talking to him aloud and is asking Dean not to make fun of him (laughs) for going out and buying a spirit talking board, a.k.a. a Ouija board. So Sam goes to Toys R Us and buys a Hasbro Ouija board and... Couldn't be Hasbro. That's copyrighted. You have to make up your brand new spirit talking board. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it can't be called the Ouija board. It's a spirit, mystical spirit talking board. Yes. 
the commentary track had so much to say. They're like, we had to come up with the design. We oh had to come God. up with our own images. We had to do something that was different enough that we wouldn't get in trouble. Oh my God, really? So they they couldn't do the Hasbro because it's copyright. No. Okay, okay. No. Yeah. No Coca-Cola advertising in this Supernatural series. Nope. If they do it, they're getting paid for it. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Sam pulls out his mystical spirit talking board, sits crisscross applesauce in the middle of the room, sets up the board in front of him, and Dean reluctantly joins. Yeah, he's rolling his eyes, but he joins Sam at the board. And shockingly, it works. I love Dean. He's like, this is not going to work. Holy crap. Oh my god, like, this is an actual tool for divining spirits. Apparently. Apparently. Do they do they use a special sort of void? Like, what's going on? Hmm? It's gotta just be intent. They're like, I can move it, ergo it does move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dean tells Sam through the board that he is hunting a reaper in the hospital. And Sam asks if it is after him. And Dean says yes. And Sam doesn't know what to do about this because if it's here, if it's a reaper and it's here naturally, there's no way to stop it. You can't kill death, as Dean says or agrees. Yeah. yeah. With Sam's assessment. Now, what do you do when it's your time? And if the reaper is here to reap a soul that it just has to go then what do you do yeah i thought it was pretty cute how they were like you can't kill death and i'm like oh sweetie just you wait (laughs) i know oh yes definitely yeah you you will be amazed at what you boys can do oh my god um this little scene too is pretty neat because there's this 360 degree view around sam as he's using the board And um, we intermittently see Dean or his absence, depending on, you know, whose point of view we're meant to be um, taking. Yeah. But this was such a challenge to film, they said. Um, They had to build this little ramp behind Jared's back so that they could walk the camera behind him, um, but be able to be above him. And it's not just, like, one camera guy walking, but there's, like, three or four guys that are moving, like, someone with the boom mic, someone with, I don't know, Mm -hmm. the other equipment that they need. And so Jensen had to get out of the way quickly, and then he had to, like, slide on his knees into the scene and... They caught so many takes where it was just, like, him skidding for it. Like, he wasn't stopped calmly with his hands (laughs) on the planchette. Yeah. It was him moving still. It took them a lot of takes to get it right. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe they just didn't film it once Sam solo and then one more time with Sam and Dean and then cut in. I, I didn't even notice that. You're saying it's one continuous cut. Yes, it's one take. One continuous take, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, this is the episode of Practical Effects. Like, 
the body double for Jensen in the bed is wearing this latex mask that looks like Jensen. And he was like, it was so weird to look at. And this poor guy was a champ about it, but had to be basically blind in this mask the whole day because, you know, he's unconscious in bed. His eyes are shut. So the mask is has shut eyes. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see the yellow contacts that Tessa and um, the yellow eyed demon wear. Um, th- both of the actors were blind effectively in those, so there was like sandbags for where their marks were, where they had if they had to walk or anything, they had to just like blindly guess where they were going. And the outtakes, um, the gag reel for this season has a bunch of takes of. Um, Tessa's actor, Lindsay, trying to plant her hand on Jensen's forehead and just missing, like grabbing oh his God. shoulder instead. And Jensen eventually had to like grab her hand and put it where it was supposed to go. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So they movie have magic. Yeah. Movie magic. They have the scene, which is one continuous take, a 360 view. Dean is rolling in and out of the frame. Yeah. Trying to work around these four guys that are walking in a circle around the two of them. And they're doing all this in front of Dean's hospital bed where they have a body double and a latex Jensen Ackles mask. Yeah. And the camera angle onto the spirit board isn't the same angle that Jared sees. So Jared is like trying to guess where he has to move the planchette so that it correctly has the magnifier above the correct letter. He's like, I hope to God this is right because otherwise we're doing another take. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a lot of things to say about how challenging this episode was to film well they <laughs> it's so funny it's like it's like one i kind of want to be like hey that's cool good job but then two it's like did you have to make it that difficult or did you just make it hard for yourself because it was, it was kim cool? manners <laughs> kim manners has taste he knows how to make things look good oh my and gosh. i mean make it more difficult sure but it's an effective episode. Like we, we said before we were filming, like not much happens in this episode. And yet it is memorable. It's a banger of a premiere. Like, yeah, it's a really good episode. And a lot of it has to do with the level of the performances and then the cinnamon topography that we're getting from the episode. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah. All right. Yes, I am. I will. I will unironically praise the cinnamon topography topography even though they made it more difficult for themselves yeah i mean kudos on them for caring i Mm -hmm. guess practical effects yes yes it's a bygone era but we love it so this scene wraps up with sam insisting that their dad will know what they can do um, but when he leaves to find him, John is no longer in his hospital room. Yes. Um, we get this very brief scene where John goes to set up his summoning gear in a boiler room. 
And then we are back with Sam, who has found John's journal, and he is reading it in Dean's room. Yeah, Sam comes in, has John's journal, says, Dad is not in his room, but let's see what we can find. And Sam goes to read the pages in the journal regarding reapers and uh, dean goes to join him but takes a sec to say "Hmm, thanks thanks for not giving up on me sammy yeah because unlike somebody yeah holding a silent vigil while his phone is just sitting idle in his pocket (laughs) sam is being proactive and they're on the same page. And that, I think, is nice for Dean to experience with Sam. Yeah. Um, as Sam is reading, Dean has kind of a light bulb moment um, looking over that couple pages on the Reapers. Um, and Dean realizes Tessa is not who she seems. Yeah. Son of a bitch. And then he storms yeah. away. Yeah, he goes to find Tessa. She's no longer um, in her, you know, hospital gown. She is sitting on a bed in shadows, and she looks like she has been waiting for him to come find him. Yeah. Yeah. And Dean lays it out for her. He knows that Reapers can alter human perception they can influence what they want other people to see and dean is calling tessa out for not toying with him yeah for toying with him and not being who she says she was he was just she was just putting on a show yes and There's nothing Dean likes less than feeling powerless. Yeah. Tessa points out that he attacked her when she was in her true form. Um, So this was needed to make him talk to her. Well, Tessa, (laughs) how is anyone going to talk to you in any situation if that's how you show up? Right? It's like, I'm showing up. I look like a tattered pile of muslin cloth. (laughs) I'm floating and I'm putting my hand into people's chests. And it's like, oh, yes, I want to have a conversation with that one right there. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't seem to be wanting to talk. No. No. She seemed... It it is funny, though, because if you actually do think about it that way, if if she is the Reaper and she shows up and she is um, just reaping these souls, you know, how many people don't put up a fight? Here we have Dean raging against it and you know maybe tessa doesn't have a conversation with everyone that she reaps maybe she just takes them and they're ready to go and they go peacefully but here we have dean standing and seeing that it's his time to go and he is denying it and pushing the reaper away and no don't take me no you can't take me um so this is a, a situation where tessa does have to have a you know, a gentler touch. 
Yeah, she has to break out her toolbox and be like, okay, what particular tool can I use in this situation? How do I make him actually understand? Because he doesn't seem to be understanding. Yeah, this is a stubborn boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she tells him that it is time to go, that Dean is living on borrowed time. Um, But he, he doesn't seem willing to accept that. No. No. We return to John in that boiler room. He is chanting. He bleeds into a bowl. And it all is seemingly for naught. It looks like the demon doesn't show. There's a beat of quiet. And then John is startled by the janitor who is calling out John for being somewhere that he's not supposed to be. Come on, I'm taking you to security. Yes. Telling him that he has to get out of this room. Yes. Um, But John pulls the colt on this guy. And he's like, come on, you don't think that you could fool me that easily, do you? Like, you don't think I'm stupid, do you? And the yellow-eyed... the yellow-eyed demon grins and is like, you don't really want me to answer that, do you? I love him to pieces. I love this him so much. actor. He's so great. He's so good. Frederick Lane. I need, I, I, every single time that I see the early seasons of Supernatural and every single time that I see this actor as, super, as Azazel, the yellow-eyed demon, <laughs> I tell myself, Girl, you gotta go look up this actor. You gotta see everything that he's ever done because he just kills it. He slays. Right. And we were talking, sorry, we were talking last week about Dexter Newblood and he has a small part in it as well. Ooh. I was just like, oh, this is fun. This is a treat. Like, it's not even that big of a role, but uh-huh. like, yay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I he does such a good job. We see him go from, you know, just this person, the janitor who's telling the guy to get out of the boiler room because he's not supposed to be there, to Azazel, to the yellow-eyed demon. Mm-hmm. His face, his voice, his stance transforms, and he is Azazel. And when he gives that little line that, ooh, how stupid do you think I am? Do you really want me to answer that? Johnny boy. I love him. Just standing ovation. I love him. He's so good. And, like, initially they were just planning him for this episode. They were going to have the yellow eye demon hop into a different body for later episodes. But they liked him so much that they asked him to come back and keep playing the character. Oh, I'm so glad they did because, I mean, I know that it's fun to have this demon, you know, that can hop from vessel to vessel, have someone play him new every time, but study and adopt the new mannerisms. And we do do fun things with that, with later, Mm -hmm. you know, with other demon characters like Ruby and Meg and, um, I don't know. Ruby and Meg, I suppose. <laughs> I'm like, there's times where we don't have fun with it, though, like Lucifer in season 12. Yeah, true, true. Uh, but I am so glad that they decided to bring him back and keep him as Azazel because he does such a good job. Yeah, I agree. I always think, you know what, and I always think that it's a good thought 
you know, to have these entities that change vessels, like the empty, you know, we mm-hmm. saw the empty in a lot of different actors and a lot of different roles. Um, but it always seems like a good idea, but I don't think that it's ever really, it ever, I don't think that it ever really lands how you want it to. If you have this one character that's skipping from actor to actor, it never, it never executes well. I think you just want that familiarity. You want to get, you want to attach to an actor and you want to see, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard to I'm with you. connect with this nebulous idea of a character that you don't get to see with any sort of consistency. It's always a different person. Yeah. Like part of it is you have a character, but the other part is you have an actor mm-hmm. and not every actor brings the same thing to the same character. They're all going to have their own unique un- nuances and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so you're, end up being like oh i like what that one did oh not so much with that like it it takes you out a bit rather than just appreciating the character you're like oh i like this one but it's a different character with this actor yeah yeah that's why i think it worked with ruby and meg because we had long-term exposure to their actors before they switched yeah you know vessels or whatever yeah and there was a bit of a time gap between um, Nikki Acox and then Rachel Miner. Right, right. You have your Meg 1 and your Meg 2, your Ruby 1 and your Ruby 2. But it doesn't work with, like, The Empty or Season 11 uh, Lucifer because you, when you have your Lucifer 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 all within a six-episode span... It doesn't work. Yeah. Tangents. Tangents. Anyways, I like this actor a lot. Yeah. And we forgot to mention, but he does have two demonic lackeys. Yes. Lankies. Flackies. <laughs> My uh, sentence is lackeys. two lackeys flank John. And I was like, <laughs> I, why did I set myself up for failure that way? I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um... Yellow-eyed demon calls John reckless and points out that he only has one shot left in the cult to protect him. So did you really think you could trap me, John? Um, Except John actually wants to make a deal. Yeah. No, I don't want to trap you. I want to make a deal. And it's like, ooh, intrigue. We go back to Sam and he is talking to Dean's body. Um, basically saying how he doesn't know yet what to do to save him, but he's going to keep trying. And he has this really heartfelt moment, too, where he's saying, you can't leave me alone with dad. We'll kill each other. You know that. And he has this pause before he says, you got to hold on. You can't go, man. Not now. We're just starting to be brothers again. Yeah, it's... This heartfelt moment of Sam trying to express all the ways that he needs Dean. You know, Dean is the rock. And he needs Dean. Otherwise, you know, he's the balance to the whole family dynamic. He needs Dean. Without Dean, he's alone. He, He doesn't have his brother anymore. 
And, like, he goes off the leash almost. Like, he goes off the rails. He needs the temperance that that Dean brings to John's obsessive side of his personality. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, you know, we've only just started to be brothers again. We feel that as the audience. We feel that because mm-hmm. we have now watched them grow into this relationship and grow into each other over the season one and you know they were estranged and now that i don't know there was just something about that line like we're we've just started to be brothers again like i really felt that from sam and on my own like yeah you know i don't i don't want this to be over yet either it it was a line that had like a child's purity to it, like just a simple elegance to it. This wish of the heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the line that got me to think, like, yeah, like I said, Sam trying in different ways to express how he needs Dean, and the uh, we were just starting to be brothers again. Was Sam saying, I? I need you. Without you, I'm alone. I need my brother. Yeah. I... The the tragedy of this scene is that Dean isn't in the room to hear it. Yes! Yes. Yeah. Dean is with Tessa, and he's begging her to make an exception for him. Yes. I wanted to skip so forward so bad. I wanted to skip forward to when Azazel says to John, oh, if only your sons knew how much oh. you loved them. You actually loved them. But we're going to get there. But that that's exactly, you know, that moment and then the Sam moment and the fact that Dean forgets all this anyways. I know. Oh, there's so, so many moments of just if if y'all could communicate. Yeah. You could have had healthy relationships. You could have had more. You could have had even more than you did. Sorry, Aries is telling me all about his walk into the room. <laughs> Hello, Aries. Are you coming up? Yeah? Thinking about it? Okay, jumping on the couch first. Coming. Yeah? Hello. Yeah, you want to see the book? No! <laughs> There's just so many moments in this episode that really highlight the fact that if these boys were better at communication, they would all have healthier relationships with each other. Oh my god, there's so many reasons why this episode breaks my heart. And yes, that is one of them. Because Ew. because we've been, I mean, we've, we've been kind of sticking with the, um, uh, how should I say? In talking about the episode so far and what Sam is seeing from John and what Dean is seeing from John so far up to this point, we've been kind of sticking to just that narrow lens of what we know in the moment, which is that, as far as we can tell, John is not trying. He's He doesn't care. He Yes. Maybe his only care, his only priority is getting, summoning the demon and, and finishing this revenge plot. Yes. Uh, but yes. now we see that there's 
a bigger plan. I want to make a deal. And he wants to deal for Dean's life. So he does care. But the boys don't know it. Couldn't know it. I mean, and he couldn't say it. Like, he couldn't say, no, I have a plan. I am going to sacrifice myself for Dean. Like, he he can't say any of those things. And so he's kind of in this little box that unfortunately paints himself in a really negative light. And it's, it's not to say that he hasn't done his fair share of fuckery to earn that negative light. But... Yeah, this episode is giving us a lot of dramatic irony where we, the audience, know more than the characters and just oh, feel feel the train coming for them and wish yes. we could cry out like Dean and warn them of what's to come. Yes, 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 and yes. And you're right, like right here with John now... We see that he is going to sacrifice everything for his boys and he is going to, you know, his priority has always been the demon, the yellow eyed demon. Now he has the yellow eyed demon right in front of him. He has the cult in hand. He Mm -hmm. could take the shot. But unlike what, what Sam has been accusing him of this whole episode, the the demon's not his priority in this moment. Now the priority, the number one is Dean and, and, and John is going to give up everything for Dean. But what really struck me about all of this. And like you said, the irony of it all is that I don't, Sam and Dean aren't even surprised that John seems to be thinking only of the cult, thinking only of the demon. Yeah. They don't even seem surprised that he's not thinking about, he doesn't look to be thinking about Dean in this moment. They're disappointed. Sure. Sam is calling John out on it. And Dean is, just crushed by you know coming face to face with the fact that his dad doesn't look to be trying but yeah he's doing that how could you yeah and it's like from the boy's perspective when push comes to shove the demon comes first and again are they even surprised i don't think that they are And, like, we have to remember where we were in the show, season two, episode one. We didn't know about demon deals. We didn't know about any of that. And so the thought that John is summoning the demon here, um, it really does feel like we don't understand his motives, you know? Yeah. And he wants the weapon. Okay, he has the demon here. But um, we've find out to our surprise that he's choosing to you know lay down his sword because his son is dying yeah and that's the great irony of it all because the boys will never know and yeah i take a step back again dean is as an audience member in the show a lot of it like he is unable to affect the course of 
the story, the direction things are taking around him, and he's trying as best he can. Um, and then as an audience, we don't know necessarily where things are going until it's too late and we almost fall into the same place that Sam and Dean are where we are making an assumption about John's behavior and then the narrative reveals that assumption to be false yeah like there's all these great layers between the characters and then we the audience that are resonating with each other that again for an episode that not a lot happens in except for a couple key moments There is so much to it that really makes the episode sing. Yeah, yeah. They pulled off those twists and turns well in a way that it's kind of hard for TV to do. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think when you first watch the episode, when it starts up and, you know, you're on minute 20, you don't think... John's going to die by the end of it. He's going to voluntarily give up his life to save his son. Yeah. You you think what Sam and Dean think is that you know, it, John's still on track to just prioritize the mission. Yep. We got ahead of ourselves, Remy. <laughs> we did a little bit, but oh, but it's so juicy. It's so juicy. Look at that little steak. It's sitting on the plate in front of you. And you're just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to smell it. It'll be fine. That's all we're... No. We're jumping ahead of ourselves. No. Okay, so Dean is asking Tessa to make an exception of him. Yes. <laughs> He's saying yeah. his family's in danger. They need him. But Tessa says that the fight is over for him. All soldiers feel the same way, you know. The, but the battle goes on. And there's nothing Dean can do. He's had an honorable death. Um, But Dean really doesn't think so. He thinks his family is going to die while he rots in this place. Gosh. All all these conversations that are happening, you know, so much of this episode is very, very, very well written, this conversation included. Mm -hmm. This conversation between Dean and Tessa. I also it really reveals like so the... much about the characters. Yes, yes. I was gonna say I also really like the conversation between John and Azazel, and everything is just really w- well written. But the most, definitely the most deep and layered and philosophical conversation of them all is the one that's happening right here with Dean and Tessa, and it's yeah. impactful. Yeah, there's a huge um mytholo- there's a huge mythology reveal here for Dean where Tess is explaining that she can't force him to come, but if he stays then he's going to be disembodied and as time goes on, he's going to become a violent spirit. You know, you can't give up, you can't move on, you're stuck and you're about to become one of those ghosts that you have spent all your time fighting. Yes, and we just see the horror come across Dean's face here. Yeah. As he's realizing what Tessa is telling him. Because, you know, at first Tessa is trying to say, you know, 
you're not the first soldier that I've plucked from the field. And I know that you don't want to go and, and, and you feel like the fight can't go on without you, but it will. And she's trying to tell him it's okay, but Dean is still denying it. You know, there's no such thing as an honorable death. I can't go. And this is where Tessa says, well, you're right. You were right. Actually, like you said, there's always a choice and I can't make you go, but the big, but this is what, this is what will happen to you if you stay. And it's just the antithesis of everything Dean would want to be. So it's a really difficult choice for him then because he doesn't want to leave his family but if he doesn't leave his family, he's going to become a thing his family would need to hunt. Yes, 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 yes. Ooh, chills. Love it, love it. So good. Now we have John and the yellow-eyed demon in their deal-making situation. I know, I know. Azazel is taunting John. It's, it's very unseemly, you know, to make deals with the devil. John just doesn't care though he's he's offering up the colt and the final bullet in exchange for saving Dean's life and this is where um, Azazel says that line that you love so much where he's calling John sentimental but too bad his boys don't know how much he loves them I know the boys will never know that he you know they've gone this whole episode and to a certain extent, their whole lives being second to the mission. And now here's John that's going to give a, give up everything. We yeah. had Sam talking to Dean's body, but Dean himself wasn't there to hear it. And he wouldn't even have remembered it if he was there to hear it. Sam laying, being vulnerable to Dean and, yeah. and, and telling Dean that Sam needs him and he and Sam doesn't want Dean to go when all of season one, that's all that Dean has been saying to Sam. I, I can't be alone. I don't want to be alone. I need yeah. you. And, and this is the most important thing to me. Like, I don't want you to go. And now Sam's saying the same thing to Dean is everything that Dean has wanted. And he's not even there to hear it. Yeah. And just like Azazel is saying here, you know, too bad your boys don't know. Yeah. Because you can't fucking communicate. Yeah. Macho men don't tell their children they love them. Oh my god. They scare their children when they say they're proud of them. Oh my god. Woof. John is still trying to cut through the bullshit. He's saying to Azazel... Well, I keep saying Azazel, but just an FYI, we don't know that's his name. I just know yeah. that's his name. We find that out yeah. much later in the in the series. It's the yellow-eyed demon. But John is saying to the demon now, look, cut the bullshit. You care about the cult and the and the bullet much more than you care about Dean. Just make the deal. Yeah. The deal is good. You know, this is a good trade for you. And the yellow-eyed demon agrees that neither of John's boys are a threat. But he does take uh, the opportunity to ask John whether 
Sammy knows, or sorry, whether John knows the truth about Sammy and the other children. And John admits that he does, but Sam doesn't. Yeah. Azazel tells John, oh, you've been playing dumb. Hmm? You know, but Sammy doesn't know. Yeah. So just further reinforcement of that gut instinct that Dean had when he was observing John earlier in the episode. Yeah. And this is a hook for us, too, because no what? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Season one, where's dad? How do we find him? Season two, what's the deal with this mystery children plan? Yeah. So John does tack on a clause to this agreement before they seal the deal. He says he wants to see that Dean is okay before he gives the yellow-eyed demon the gun. And the demon agrees. Um, But he does add his own um, codicil to this and says that he wants one more thing um, beyond the cult. Yeah, something that he wants just as much, if not more, than the cult. Mm -hmm. And we cut away before we learn exactly what that thing is. Yeah. If I take a step back from this, I'm like, this is a bad deal. (laughs) (laughs) You said that. Actually, yeah, you did say that before we started recording. We were talking Mm -hmm. about it a little bit a couple of days ago. And you say it's a bad deal. I say it's a good deal. What are you talking about? Or it was a good deal before... The yellow-eyed demon put in his little caveat. No. No. The yellow-eyed demon has no reason to make this deal that we are aware of in this moment. Because there's only one bullet. There's him and his two lackeys. So even if John does somehow manage to kill the teleporting demon with the one bullet... They'll they'll still kill John. Wait, who is it a good... Wait, who are you saying it's a bad deal for? It's a bad deal for Azazel. <laughs> so even with John's soul on the line, it's a bad deal for Azazel. We don't know that motivation. But he that's the deal that's made. So at the end of the uh, day, who do you think it's a bad deal for? I told you my fucking... Okay, there's a difference between... Hello, I mean, because John got the raw end of this deal, but you were saying that Azazel got the raw end of the deal? Okay, okay, okay. Here's, so, here's what I'm saying. Just looking at this episode, not knowing the direction that the story is taking, this deal does not seem like it's a win for Azazel. Because as far as we can see in this episode, John is outnumbered, he's outgunned, he's out everything. So why would the demon want to make a deal? And there's not really enough in this episode to tie the motivations together. So I'm saying if I'm just watching this episode with no vision of where it's going to go, Azazel could have just killed John and gotten that outcome if that's what he wanted. Killed he could John, have killed John, taken the cold, taken the bullet, taken the cold. And left Sam and Dean to fend for themselves. Well, yeah. <laughs> that That's why I'm saying it's a bad deal. And 
that is a very simplistic view of what's going on because as we know that there is an ulterior motivation that will come up later as to why he needed um, John to strike this deal and to include himself as a voluntary victim in it. But until we know that reason, I'm like, the the logic in itself, I guess what I'm saying is there's not two layers to this um, deal. I there think... Is, the deal doesn't make sense until it does. No, I think that there is... I think that even not knowing the wider implications of John offering his life for this deal, for this for Dean's, I liked it because it was, I don't know, because a deal with the devil, right? There, everyone knows that you make deals with the devil. And, and so if John gets a demon in front of him, even not knowing all the things in, in, uh, surrounding, you know, selling his soul and and what happens after uh i don't know there's just something i was satisfied as an audience member to have john stand in front of this demon and say i'm gonna make i'm gonna offer you a deal and it's almost like an honor amongst thieves kind of thing like if if john is offering a deal then i almost read it as like the yellow-eyed demon would be inclined to bargain because that's what demons do. They make deals, right? Yeah. I I hear everything you're saying and I love everything you're saying. Like, I do agree there's something really diabolical about the deal with the devil that um, is compelling. Yeah. And, like, as we're talking, I'm thinking of an alternative scenario. I'm not saying it would make sense for the show, but just as uh, alternate that adds a bit more compellingness, at least as far as I'm concerned. Let's say that Don summons Azazel, um, takes the shot, you know, uses that last bullet on the Colt. Maybe not necessarily with the belief that he will be successful, but like that's his bargaining chip and it's gone. Okay, mm-hmm. and now Azazel still wants to make a deal. That to me adds this little extra layer to it, where I'm like, okay, if John really has no chips here, then why do you want to do the deal? Like, I'm maybe not explaining it properly, but there's a difference to me between John having something that he's bargaining. And the demon accepting versus the demon being like, let's make a deal. There's Uh a level of, what's the word that I'm looking for? No, I get it because you're saying. Self-determination. Okay. Okay. But so what you're saying is you're catching on the fact that they're 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 playing this as like John's holding the cards when yes. John is never holding the cards. Azazel's holding all the cards and John yes. is at his mercies. Yes. 
And I think that when I'm watching it with no knowledge of what's to come, it's played too much like they're on even ground yeah. and that Azizel needs this deal from John as much as John needs the deal from Azazel. And I, I don't know, I'm not compelled by just what we observe yeah. in this episode. I think that there is a way that you can back yourself into a corner with it and yet still have it somehow be like, oh, you know, Azazel wants this deal, but John doesn't have a choice. You want it to be more obvious that there was a plan to the fact that John's dead beyond John's out of the picture. Right. Right. I think that's too much to ask of the premiere episode of season two, <laughs> because I'm assuming that they are not 100% on the direction that they are going in the season. Like they have a general guideline, but they don't know the story beats. It's too much to ask them to burn the bullet and leave that weapon out of future plot lines. They need that one bullet still out there. Um, but there's just a little bit about this deal where I'm like, I'm not buying the reasons that we are being given. And I'm not seeing a twist that tells me why I should buy it. So that's funny because me, it, maybe I'm just giving them too much credit. I'm <laughs> sure I'm reading too much into it. But there was one detail about this conversation mm -hmm. that does exactly what you're wanting. Maybe I missed it. it. Tell me, tell me. So John says that he will offer the bullet, he will offer the cult if Azazel brings dean back and one more thing i want to see that dean is okay with my own eyes that line alone told me that john was expecting to die i think that john was already offering up his life with this package he was expecting to die when when azazel says oh and one more thing that's when he was asking for John's soul. Not just his life, but his soul. Okay. So John was always going to die. But what was that in one more thing? Okay. We don't know that it's his soul. But there was just, there was something about John saying, and I want to see that Dean is okay. The implied is before I go. Yeah. I, I can see that. I think if that is the implication, I would have liked to seen that maybe spelled out um, with Azazel saying, like, I want you to throw your life into the mix and John kind of scoffing and being like, what, you mean it's not forfeit already? And Azazel being like, no, I want to make it official. And then just, I don't know, like, I wanted a little intrigue added to that rather than leaving this episode feeling like John died so that Dean could live. I wanted a little, John has agreed to something terrible in trade for Dean living. 
And I'm with you that that trade could be his soul, but it wasn't spelled out enough for me to be like, ooh, you know, that's the tragedy cherry on top oh of my the God. sprinkling. I mean, B, Johnny goes down to Georgia, okay? Like, this is what demons do. There okay, were people maybe, on the Maybe forums. your southern roots have more of a connection to that storyline. I don't. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I don't... I don't bring a lot to the table when I'm in this scenario. I agree that it can be juicy, but I feel like there's a lot of um, social context and things like that that I'm not picking up. And so I'm just grasping at straws at how I could have, you know, how, how could this scene have been elevated, that last little punch mm-hmm. to really hit me in the solar plexus? I I think that, so you said earlier, like, I don't know if they even had all this planned out yet. I think that mm-hmm. they absolutely did know that John was selling his soul here, and that was going to be um, revealed in the final, and it is ultimately revealed in the finale of the season two. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that was planned from the beginning. Again, the much wider implications, no, not even close. We're not there yet. Yeah. But the the not only is John forfeiting his life, but also his soul to hell. That is something that I think was always in the works. Whether or not they even wanted to imply that or if they were just saving that punchline for the end of the season is up to debate because for me it's like i said johnny went down to georgia it's the devil went down to georgia but okay, <laughs> johnny was already in georgia <laughs> for me it was like you know i like i said there were probably the supernatural fans on the forums 10 minutes after this episode air being like ooh. Ooh, I know, mm-hmm. we know that this is what is this is. Uh, but again, I don't know if the writers meant to give it away here. That's fair. Or if they, like on your side of things, kind of wanted to foreshadow it and they could have foreshadowed it a little bit more so that you were satisfied and you know, I I could be sitting here just without that um the concluding thought of if you're making a deal with the devil, it's for your soul. Mm-hmm. You know, like that just genuinely is not what came to mind when I was seeing that. And that could just be the missing piece. You know, if I had that piece, then I'd be satisfied. Oh, if only I could go back to my. 19 year old self watching season one for the first time and know if I knew you know yeah I don't know if I knew I'll say me watching it even now is like I wasn't picking up that I knew knowing that I know Uh I was like (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I think I think that the like I said John always knew that his life was forfeit Mm -hmm. um but that one more thing was the implication that there's that, you know, not just your life, but one more thing. Uh, and two, just the, you know, the deal with the devil, you know, that has certain yeah. cer- certain inherent implications. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thank you, Remy. Thank you for giving me that. Because <laughs> that gives me the little morsel that I need to chew on to really 
digest that scene. Oh, so good. I think that John got the raw end of the deal, but that was the point. I do agree with you yeah. that we should have had them on more uneven footing. And they kind of toyed with it, right? Where, I mean, from the very beginning, Azazel is call- calling John dumb for even trying this ploy. Like, we know that Azazel could kill John at any point yeah. here. And I think that we should have given it a little bit more like, okay, no, Azazel is really just humoring him in this. Yeah. And then be like, oh, John, I will give you what you want, but I want your soul. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that could be a punch, you know? I'm just like, how could we punch with this scene? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But they ha- they can't, they can't make Jeffrey Dean Morgan look unmacho, B. He must be the machoist. And yet the commentary was like, this man can't keep alive on daytime <laughs> television. Like, he dies, spoilers, in the other show that's airing around this time. <laughs> if you don't know, you don't know. And then he dies in this one. They're like, this is just what he does. He lays in hospital beds and he dies. Rest in peace in peace. Bye, Denny. <laughs> oh, poor Denny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has to be in control of his own fate, I guess. Maybe that's what this episode is telling us. John was in control. He faced his own death. And yada, yada, yada. That's a lot of time on that. I'm sorry. But it's like the best. Yes. Okay. 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 So. Moment of truth. Yes. We're back with Tessa, who is coaxing Dean to get ready to move on, though she won't say where to. And... He looks like he is about to make up his mind in this moment. It looks like he is on the cusp of agreeing to go with her. So you think that's what, that's the decision that he was going to make? Because I wanted to ask, you know, he, he is on the cusp of a decision, but I wanted to ask you, which way was he going to go? I think he was going to say yes. I think he was going to move on. I think he was going to say yes. I think he was going to move on. I That's ah! so crazy. Because this, this one, this one moment, season two, episode one, and we just talk about the Winchesters. We talk about disrupting the natural order of things. We yep. have Sam and Dean saying, like, oh, he's screwed. He's screwed. There's nothing you can do. You can't kill death. Yes. If it's a natural reaper, then it's going to be what it's going to be. And then you have the reaper telling Dean, you know, que sera, sera. And Dean was all machismo when he thought it was just Tessa. But now that he knows it's a reaper and he knows what fate is coming from, he's like off put by it. He's wrong-footed and I think it makes a vulnerable moment for him where he is willing to follow the natural order yeah because Dean is this whole episode rage 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 against the dying of that light yeah and but then when when it comes down to it he still has the choice Dean has said you always have a choice and Tessa says yeah you do you could stay and you could fester, and you can yeah. become the thing 
that you, you, hunt. you hunt, you and your family hunt, or you can come with me and leave the pain behind and move on and you know, what will be, will be. He's trying to say, you know, I got to protect my brother. I got to protect my family. And Tessa is telling him that can't be your job anymore. So that's your choice. You know, and what are you going to do? And in this moment, Dean is going to go. And this is the beginning of everything. I absolutely... It's just so crazy knowing that this moment is the first time that they anything for the Winchesters, right? And it's just, oh my god, this is the moment that this that kicks off everything. And this is what happens when you do disrupt the natural order of things. And yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a Kripke quote that I read from the companion book to you um, earlier this week. And he says that it it's this episode, or it was that scene with the yellow-eyed demon in particular, that was a turning point for the show's mythology. And the quote says, From the moment that John made his decision to sacrifice his life for Dean... That was the first major transgression the Winchester family had in terms of disobeying the natural order of things. There's a big epic thematic of the show, which is you don't play God and you don't mess with the natural order because only bad things can result. The Winchester family put themselves on a very dangerous path. And this was written, this was commentary written in 2006. B. Yeah. They don't this, even know. They don't even know. And like Kripke's only going to be on for five seasons and then look where they go. Look what happens. Yeah, this is it. This is the first time. This is the first moment where we just diverge. And like you said, it's a huge thematic turning point in the mythology of the of the show and it's so good it's the start of the avalanche you know it's the start of the snowball it's what kicks off all of these deals with the devil that are to come and how they keep digging themselves deeper and deeper into a shithole like you said Mm -hmm. it it starts here and it's realizing that, you know, we can play with the natural order. We can bend things as we need to. And in constantly bending those things, it's like they're breaking the world around them. Yeah. And you don't even realize it in this moment. It's going to be a long time before we can look back and be like, wow, this really was the pivotal moment and yeah like you said the start of the avalanche the the butterfly's wings that turned into the typhoon it's and like crazy remy dean was ready to go with the natural order of things i'm convinced he was ready i know and his dad puts them on this path of yeah. destroying the natural order yeah it opens all the wrong doors. All the wrong opportunities. Yes. Yep. Ugh. Here's 
where 15 seasons come from. Oh my god, you know what I never even considered? Like, this is John's final legacy. This is yeah. talking about opening doors. This is... The domino that John flicks over. Yeah. Supernatural. Season two. <laughs> Season two! Uh, oh, it's great. It's great. So, yeah. Before Dean can answer Tessa, the electricity is flickering in the room. And he looks at her like, are you doing that? And she's like, no, it's not me. And what is it? It is the angel smoke that busts through. The the, angel smoke. The angel smoke. (laughs) It is the demon smoke that busts through the vent in the room and um, takes over Tessa's vessel. Do I want to call it that? Takes over Tessa, I feel. Yeah. Because... The L.I. demon said, I can't bring Dean back, but I know who can. And so it briefly possesses this Reaper and turns on Dean and is like, it's your lucky day and slams Dean's spirit back into his body. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, Azazel says, I can't, but. I know someone who can. It's not a problem. So he was saying that it's not a problem for him to... He's powerful enough to possess a reaper itself and utilize its powers to the demon's own gain. That's crazy. That would be... That's cool. Yeah. And, like, that, that I think... I mean, not to hammer this dead horse but i think that's why i didn't ping on azazel trading for john's soul because i'm like it seemed to be an established in this episode that azazel can't bring people back from the day like he can't mess with the direction that people's souls go in but he can possess a reaper who can do that hmm. and it's later in this season that we really hash out how demon deals work and how crossroads demons can trade for souls. So it just felt unusual to me that Azazel doesn't have that ability. Well, doesn't have the ability to... He's saying that he doesn't have the ability to bring Dean back, but... When we're talking about, I don't know of any demon deal that's like resurrected someone who was dead. So I don't know if that was ever a ability of, you know, we, we've seen people make demon deals. Oh, what the fuck am I talking about? Yeah. They do it for Sam. Sam was straight up dead. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 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 Yeah. I was like, Like, what would do demon deals to like, I don't know, cure cancer and do demon (laughs) deals to make a lot of money, but I don't know about resurrecting dead people. I'm like, oh, duh. I was like, Remy, Dean's not dead yet. <laughs> I know, whatever. Shh. Nothing that I said is correct or right or true. So fuck me, I guess. <laughs> no, no. I really like what you brought, though. Because, yeah. Like, that, That I guess, I'm like, if we had talked about this scene before we talked about the last one, that would help explain why I'm so stuck. <laughs> I don't know why you're stuck. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, it it was because it seems like Azazel needed to possess a Reaper in order to revive Dean. Uh-huh. And by his own admittance needed to do that. Uh-huh. But then when we establish demon deals later this season, um, you know, it's kind of a genie wish almost. Right, right. Well, you were... B, you're such a fickle... <laughs> B, you're so fickle. Finish your thought. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look. Because you were saying, let's take Azazel's demon deal here and not look at it like we know what's happening. We know what's going to happen later. Not look at it like we know that his soul is being sold. Uh, but just take it for what it is in this episode. And then now you're saying, well, but later in the season, other demons no, can do it. So no, why no, can't no, Azazel? No. no, no, no. I'm not saying why can't Azazel. I'm saying in this episode, Azazel cannot. So to me, that helps explain why the question of the souls and all mm-hmm. of that never came to mind when he was dealing with John. I'm saying that in this episode, the mythology behind demon deals uh-huh. is not solidified. But the devil went and down I'm to only Georgia mentioning Ortiz, later so. this season as a comparison of when they do solidify. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Demons take souls, though. We didn't establish that in this episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now that horse is dead. <laughs> is it really? I had to just be sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you for humoring me. You got it good, B. <laughs> okay. So now in his bed, choking on intubation, Dean is alive. He is conscious. And Sam is there calling for medical help. Yes. And we return... A little later, the doctors are just shocked that Dean has made a full recovery. And they even say, some kind of angel is watching over you. Yeah. But now that they're alone, Sam and Dean are left to puzzle over what happened. Since, like we mentioned, Dean doesn't remember his time as a spirit. Oh my god. Yeah, Dean is talking with Sam. Wait, and so you say a reaper was after me? God, how did I shake it? No idea. You really don't remember? I was yelling. Yelling, yelling, screaming, thrashing, crying into my fist. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that Dean lost all of that. All that growth. Oh my God. It's, it's so painful. But it also, like helps retroactively with something wicked and that where he is like we said just seems to be stubbornly refusing the attempt to growth and then here we see the Mm -hmm. narrative telling us that that growth is not for him like he doesn't get to keep it yeah yeah, it's such we the a, audience get it, but I know, I know, but it's such a gut wrench because yeah. not only does 
not only is Dean missing the growth and all the knowledge that he gained from talking with Tessa and the, like, Dean knows that it was the yellow-eyed demon that brought him back. And yes, and he says himself, you know, I don't remember anything but this pit in my stomach. I know that something is wrong. So he he knows that it was the yellow eyed demon that brought him back. And he knows that that is nothing good. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good point. And him saying like that feeling in his gut is all that's left and he feels like something's wrong. And then the next thing we see is John knocking and entering the room and asking after Dean. Like, again, subconsciously we're being told to tie these things together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so how are you doing, Dean? And Dean's like, well, I'm alive and that's what matters. And Sam (laughs) immediately starts trying to pick a fight with John. Yes. Asking where he was. And John just is evasive in his answering. Well, I liked this too, because honestly, Sam, he needs to find one iota of chill because with dead man's blood, with, uh, mm-hmm. with shadow, I mean, these two guys really cannot be in a room together for more than 10 seconds without somebody picking a fight. And it's usually, honestly, usually Sam. Because Sam is doing what he always does and just setting his jaw and going at John just to pick a fight. Because nothing that John does can be... um. Is acceptable in 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 Sam's eyes. He's he's always gonna find something that Sam disagrees with in whatever John does or says. I mean, as you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking of you know how we've previously done meta around John, how he raised his kids, and the impression that we have that it doesn't matter how good they did, there's always some critique. Mm-hmm offered that could have been done better and so if that's a culture of constant criticism as they're growing up then here sam is angry at his father and he's using that tool to antagonize him he is using this criticizing this it doesn't matter what john does it's not good enough it's he's using that behavior against john and it's exhausting. It's learned behavior from John. Yes, exactly. It's like you gave him this tool and now he's constantly poking you in the side with it. And, and I was going to say, to be fair, John kind of deserves that. But it is exhausting, just that constant antagonism. Um, and like, as the audience, we know it's the wrong time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but as Sam's trying to lean into John, you know, where were you? What were you doing? Did you go after the demon? Why don't I believe you when you said that you didn't go after the demon? Really? Tell me the truth. John is too tired for this. He can't engage. Yeah, it's it's like he realizes there's no point to winning this fight. Yeah. 
you know, all the fights that they had before, he still had a horse in the race, you know? He he wanted to win the argument mm-hmm. just as badly as Sam did. But here he is, knowing the deal that he has made, all of a sudden the perspective means that these arguments, they aren't wins at all, they're losses. Yeah. John says, just butting heads. He... Yeah says to sam hey can we not fight because half the time we're fighting i don't even know what we're fighting about we're just butting heads for the heck of it yeah and i just want to i just don't want to fight anymore can we do that and i really liked that energy that jeffrey dean morgan brought to it Mm -hmm. it it did feel it felt honest Mm mm-hmm and you could feel how it was different than how John must have responded before. Yeah. Because we see the way that just even him admitting that he's fucked up, but he's done his best, seems to worry his sons. Like, Sam is worried that John's not okay just by saying that. Yeah, yeah. Dad, are you okay? <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's really good. JDM is knocking it out of the park in this scene. I agree. Even the commentary, um, Jensen was like, he said that he was getting tears in his eyes and was like getting ready to cry, and Aww. he was like, "And this is just coverage. Like this isn't even me. They're not filming me and my reaction yet." Uh huh. Oh my gosh. Um. John asks Sam basically to leave the room, you know, go get me a cup of coffee. And Sam does. And now that they are alone, John reminisces with Dean about how as a kid he would comfort John after some really tough cases. Yeah. When Dean was a kid, John would come home from a hunt and after the things that he'd see, he'd just be wrecked over it. And it was Dean that would put a hand on John's shoulder and Dean would be the one to tell John, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, dad. It's going to be okay. And John apologizes that Dean ever had to do that. He says, Dean, I'm sorry. You shouldn't have had to say that to me. I should have been the one saying that to you. I put too much on your shoulders. I made you grow up too fast. You have always been the one to look out for this family. You took everything that I put on you and you did it and you didn't complain. And this is echoing. This is John acknowledging basically what dean himself said early in the episode i gave everything yeah for this family i gave everything to you and and you can't even lift a finger for me what kind of father are you here john is saying i was no kind of father i wasn't the father that i wanted to be yeah and like realizing subconsciously or not that he has irrevocably changed the way that Dean grew up. Like he, he molded his son to be this person that took care of them both without complaint. Mm -hmm. 
and he he knows his time is limited and so he wants dean to know how proud he is of him gosh and john says i'm i'm just so proud of you and dean has to ask john if this is really him saying these things like this is a mirror to what we saw last episode the finale of season one where John said that he was proud of Dean, but did it in such a way that it was pinging as strange for Dean and helped him realize that it was, in fact, the yellow-eyed demon. But here, you know, all cues read as this being John, and yet John is not behaving the way that Dean expects, and it feels like such a little kid thing to ask if that's really you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you saying this? Yes, and it is. We see that Dean is getting scared because John is laying all this out and Dean doesn't know why and it's out and it is out of character and it does sound really heavy for this moment and yeah, foreboding foreboding right and dean doesn't know why john is saying these things and john waves away that question you know dad why are you saying these things what's going on and john tells dean just to look out for sam you know keep keep holding on just look out for sam yeah And Dean says, well, yeah, of course. Like, I always do. Dad, you know I will. What's going on? You're scaring me. He says, you're scaring me. What's going on? Yes. And, yeah, John tells him, don't be scared. But he comes in close to Dean and whispers something in his ear. Mm -hmm. And Dean seems taken aback by whatever he was told. And John, teary-eyed, finally leaves the room and we see him walk down the hall go back to an empty room maybe the room that he himself was in previously yeah but he enters an empty hospital room takes out the colt and lays it on the table and we cut then to sam walking down the hallway he's got that cup of coffee for his dad Mm -hmm. And as he is passing by that empty room, uh, John is unconscious on the floor. Yeah. We don't know what state he is in, but he is on the floor, unmoving. And Sam drops the cup of coffee and it splashes on the floor. And we see him grab his dad's body and start calling for help. And the last scene that we are given is um, the hospital staff trying to revive John. They're not able to. And Sam and Dean watch as their father's time of death is called. Yeah, and these last couple scenes are also directed, like, super well. The transitions are, oh my god. The scene with 
Sam discovering his dad's body, the fact that we have that tense moment where the doctors are trying to revive John, but it's to no avail. And the very last thing we see in this episode is the cut to black and on the black screen, the doctor declares the time of death. 1041 a.m. Yeah. And that was a reference, I think, to 1410? No, 1401. It's some Bible passage that they're referring to. Hmm. I I saw that. I don't remember what the passage says. I'm sorry. That was useless. <laughs> I think if you go into IMDb trivia, they have it mentioned for this episode. 1401. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the bit where the coffee cup drops mm-hmm. um, that they said on the commentary was a really unique take as well, because you'll notice that the coffee cup actually lands on its end and it stays upright. Yeah. And the lid actually flips off and goes directly in the direction of the camera. And they're like, you can't plan for those things. Like, it just worked out perfectly that it did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a very dramatic moment because there's almost this white noise, right? That's happening when Sam sees his father. He drops the coffee cup and we don't hear any of this. It's just a muffled thud. Yeah, the sound has faded out. As the coffee hits the ground and Sam rushes to his father's body and starts yelling for, uh, for help, but we don't hear any of that. Like you said, the sound has faded out. It's all muffled out. Very dramatic. Yes, it's a very compelling season premiere. But it works. It's good for this episode. Yes, yes, I agree. The acting, the conversations we're having, the those pivotal moments that we get, and the the way that that this episode was directed, I think we're all came together to be this really good opener, this really banger episode. 100%. 100%. Like, I'm really glad that we got Kim directing this, because mm. he's so... He was so skilled at what he did. And that is the episode. That is the episode. Now, for final takeaways for final takeaways do you know what your final takeaway is b because i've got a couple and i think that i'm gonna make you choose first okay um i don't know i just really like the out-of-body experience that dean went through i like the conversational opportunities that offered you know the the things that people would never say to each other we get to hear them and experience it the way that the characters do because that whole audience surrogate blah 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 stuff I don't know I just really really like that we got to see Dean like this and we got to see how Sam reacted how Dean reacted how John reacted and all those character moments were really really effective yeah I definitely agree 
What are your multiple takeaways? <laughs> well, I really, I think that my final takeaway, I think that the big takeaway definitely has to be the deal that John strikes with the yellow eyed demon and the fact that John meets death meets his death in this episode. That's huge. And we are left guessing and left wanting more both from, you know, what's going to come from this deal that, that John struck and again, the wider implications of the, the Winchesters doing anything for family and Mm -hmm. actually disrupting the natural order of things to, uh, to save their family. Yeah. Like holding on to each other almost too hard. Yes. Yeah. Bend it till it breaks. So that's definitely the big, the big, big kablow of this episode. I also, though, really, really liked the conversation between Dean and Tessa and the way that Tessa was bringing Dean around to understand some of those implications of defying the natural order of things. You know, that's, that's what, that's how angry spirits are born. You know, you, you don't go when it's your time to go and then you're stuck and there's no changing your mind when when the deed is done you know you're we have dean through this whole episode saying you always have a choice but we have tessa saying your choices have consequences yes and that's such a good way of putting that yeah and then take that and apply it to what john just did and it makes you all the more hungry to know what the consequences are going to be for this choice that John made. 100%. So I really like Tessa. I really like Azazel. I like all the conversations that happened here in this episode. And uh, just the acting was top tier as well. Amen. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yes. So good. To see Dean get that vulnerable too. Like get. Yeah. Just to to see him from where he started just fight 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 but then he goes quiet and he knows what the right thing to do is and he's ready to take that step and then it's denied him his choice is denied to him mm-hmm. it's a lot and like you saying how vulnerable he is like how few layers he has on him even physically like the clothes he's Single layers. He's got no shoes on. We're really seeing him as like this young, I Mm -hmm. I don't want to say kid because he's not a kid, but he seems really young in the moment. I agree. And we see his struggle with autonomy. We see his struggle to be himself. And then, like you say, we see his choice get negated by his father. I also think that one of the reasons why his conversation with Tessa struck me a a lot is that we haven't really seen anyone be gentle to Dean and here's Tessa being so 
empathetic and gentle to Dean when usually Dean is the soft one. Dean is the one that is reaching out the hand and being the soft voice and getting down on your level and trying to empathize with you. Yeah, putting himself out there to help you feel better. Yeah, but here it's Tessa that's the one that's comforting Dean and being so gentle with Dean and just trying to make him understand. And that's something that, like, I don't know, it's it's the first time that we've seen Dean receive comfort, like real comfort. And I don't know, there's something about Tessa stroking his hair. I'm just like, oh, oh, come on. He needs more hugs, okay? He just needs more hugs. Yeah. She was a really compelling character. She really was effective. That actress did a great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think we talked about it enough, B? Is that is that the answer? I don't even know. I don't even know. Did don't you know, know. Her, her name means Reaper? Tessa, really? Yeah. <laughs> they, they were like, we're, we're putting the button on that nose. That's subtle. Yep. So, there. That's my final take. <laughs> <laughs> it's so freaking funny because we have this episode and the next episode... Episode two, everyone loves a clown. I know. Ugh. I'm I'm with Sam in this one. No, no clowns. <laughs> it's just so funny. I'm sorry. It's everybody loves a clown, not Thank everyone. You. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that you really yeah. wanted to call me out on there. So I thought about it. And I'm like, I'm so bad like i don't want to do that <laughs> everybody loves a clown and it's so funny because like this is the episode that has so many other big moments but it's also the episode with the clown so yeah i can't even remember anything about this episode i know you've described things that are in it. i'm like i guess we'll wait and see how that plays out i am very much looking forward to it because next episode is definitely a big episode too we see Bobby, we see baby, we see all the Winchester angst and the yes. Harvels. I'm looking forward because I think the thing I remember is Dean beating the car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. But that is for next time. So please tune in. We hope you enjoyed this kicking off of season two. And like Remy said, we'll see you next week for episode two. Yeah. I've already hooked them in B, so they have to come back next week. I mean, you gotta. Everybody loves it. You gotta. Everybody loves a clown. Yes. If you've made it this far and you haven't tuned out, um, please go and leave a review on whatever podcasting system you are listening through. Um, the reviews help us find people. They help us talk to more of you. And we just like doing that. So please help us out if you can. Yes. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.